right, welcome back to the big program, Sports 1440, Kevin Carey's show, as we welcome in our Wednesday co-host from 9 to 11, uh, former NHLer David Schlemko, powered by Cougar Paint and Collision, our family helping your family for over 40 years, Cougar Collision. Com. As you can imagine, Schlemmer, we've had, I think we just had one or two texts coming in this morning. Uh, <laughs> <was> yeah. <laughs> Tough days out there to be an oil fan right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, tons, I'm with them. Yeah, tons more coming in for sure. Um, uh, we're talking about players' possibility. Uh, we heard all summer about Brett Pesci. This comes from Team Dean. Uh, looking for help on defense already. Walter goes, at some point, fire the coach, becomes doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Slurpy Sean just says, Joel Quinville. Um, the Oilers play is on the players. They are grown men that have gone through the ranks to get where they are. They are professionals, need to start playing like it. If they are not up to it, don't play. If they don't agree with a the play, then tell the coach, work as a team, not every man for themselves, M-M-H. All right, Schlemmer, we'll get to a few more of these texts. So you had a good gander at the game last night. First of all, since you've been kind of doing this for the last couple months, are you analyzing the game any different than what you were, you know, before you came in to kind of co-host this show? Are you looking at it a little different at all? Maybe I'm paying attention a little bit more to some details, yeah. I guess you could say. But, um, I mean, last night was tough. That's a tough game to watch. Um, they were out of sync. I mean, just the D zone. The mm-hmm. D zone is a tire fire right now. Yep. The awareness. Um, I mean, it's surprising. All going through training camp here, they're talking about they're making these adjustments. Uh, they're making little tweaks uh, defensively to kind of shore up the D and. I don't know. Personally, I'm not seeing it. Okay. Um, they look like they're they're not on the same page. They're not closing quick. I mean, you, you look at them on the forecheck. They're great on the forecheck. Mm-hmm. They're aggressive. They're hunting pucks. And in the D zone, it, it looks like they're they're kind of collapsing, but they're just they're sitting back, and nobody really knows who's supposed to jump to the guy with the puck. Um, there's no box outs in front. I mean, I, I hate to say it as a D-man, mm-hmm. but you could put – pretty much every single goal on either Nurse or Bouchard last night. Right. Um, David Schlemko with us on Sports 1440, and we touched on this um, off the top. And then I asked Mark Spector too. So everyone was talking about a new defensive system and structure being put in place. I, I don't, I can't explain it, what has been put in place, because I can't um, dissect it enough to see what's happened. So as a former NHLer, and again, we'll get back to this one texture who said, what do you guys know? You don't know anything. What have you played? Okay, David Schlemko, 400-plus uh, games in the NHL. What do you see in this defensive zone coverage structure that you could explain to an average person watching the game? Well, to me, it, it looks like they they want to come back to the house, which okay. is like the middle, the slot area. They're doing a good job of that, but there's still no awareness. I mean, you look at... The one play, the, there's a backdoor play last night in the second period. And we had like four guys back. Adam Ernie's standing in the slot. He's in the right spot, but he watches the guy skate right past him. Backdoor should have been a backdoor tapping. Mm-hmm. Campbell makes a great save. I mean, the first goal, Evan Bouchard is standing right beside his guy in front of the net, but he's got one stick on his hand. And he basically watches the guy redirect it in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the second goal. Campbell's about to 
cover the puck with his glove, and Bouchard, instead of just boxing his guy out and letting Campbell take care of the puck, he whacks the puck out from under his glove, and the other guy taps it right in. Okay. I think that's the second goal, and I mean, I'm going to get ragged on again here from whoever was texting me and saying, uh, enough of the second goal already. In my mind, that second goal is a shot from the point where Jack Campbell, it's a clear view, it's a wrister, he's got to, he's got to smother that puck. He can't even get it to the stage where it bounces in front with three, four guys. In my mind, that's the only goal that I would say Campbell probably should have had. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair assessment, I guess. But at the same time, if Bouchard is just boxing out and under that guy's stick, it's an easy okay. rebound to fair. cover up, right? I mean, you watch many last night. They got their small D. You're watching guys like Addison and Faber, and <laughs> they're boxing out our big forwards in front of the net, and they're goalie seeing the puck from the point. Uh, again, millions of texts coming in. Uh, hey, guys, uh, nothing can or will change in terms of who's on this team. Too late now. No money. Don't have the players that anybody wants except for the ones we don't want to trade. People, specifically the D, just need to step up and be consistent like a real championship team. Otherwise, nothing will change. That comes from AJ. Um, Steve from Drumheller. Just out of curiosity, is the whole if the whole fan base can see how bad the defense is, then what is the organization seeing? Okay, I'm kind of I'll change that a little bit towards you, uh, Dave. <coughs> So in the room, obviously, I think all these players know what to fix, how to fix it. But what's the problem in the sense of that we're not seeing the team able to fix it in a in a faster, quicker fashion? It seems to me like they're hesitant in the okay. D zone. Like they're not quite sure. They're kind of in the middle. I think on the Erickson goal is a perfect example. Okay. I mean, Maroon's coming around the net. Nurse, you'd think he'd jump him right away, right? But he looks like he's not sure if he wants to leave his guy in front of the net. Eventually he does, but he just comes out kind of halfway. He's not taking Erickson Eck in front. He's not really taking Maroon. He's just kind of caught in between. The other guys don't make a good switch, and it's an easy goal, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's breakdowns, and it just seems like not everyone's on the same page. So I am being 100% facetious here. When, you know, we play or, and the Duke plays whatever hockey you want to call it, you're playing Division 10, one of the old funny lines is when you get scored on, one of the lines that guys say, I had my guy, I had my guy. So you mentioned Adam Ernie. You did mention Darnell Nurse. I know the, 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 the play you're talking about with Ernie. So is he going in his head, is he thinking, well, if we're in this whatever you want to call it, a zone defense or wherever I'm supposed to be to protect this, I'm not leaving that spot. So what's his mindset? What's Is that what all five guys are thinking? Or like just to kind of explain that if you can. I mean, even going back to like junior hockey, okay, you're taught to come back to the house and stop as a winger. Come back from the inside the hash marks, stop. That's, you're in a good position, right? But at the same time, it's hockey. Like it's a, It was basically a three-on-three. Three. That guy entering wide, that strong side D is going to take him. The weak side D is going to go with that middle drive. And that first forward back has got to take that wide guy. But there's just there's no awareness out there. There's no talk. It's It just seems so disjointed compared to the way they forecheck in the ozone. They're all over the puck. Okay. Uh, here's one from Danny Boy, and this is an analytics um, 
comment. Greg Wyshynski uh, posted that the Oilers are actually 10th in the league for allowing high danger. Uh, chances, however, they're 32nd in the league for high danger safe percentage. All I, I, Okay, I'm not an analytics guy. I don't know where you stand on it, uh, Schlemmer. I saw about 15 high danger chances last night, maybe more. Yeah, I'm with you there. Okay. I, I thought it could have been 7, 8, 3, many after After the two. second. Yeah. So I don't know where these, who's deciding <laughs> what these high danger chances are, but last night, there were, again, before the second period. I mean, if Campbell doesn't stand on his head in the second, yeah, you're right. It could be 6-3. Yeah. And it's not just the D zone, honestly. It's it's puck management. It's puck decisions coming out of the zone. It's They're not playing like a hungry, desperate team that just wants to get a win on the road last night. You know, it seems so casual. Even the, mm-hmm. the go-ahead goal is the fourth goal. Like, Bouchard trying to pick up that rim on his backhand under yep. pressure instead of maybe just making the safe play, eat that puck, wait for wait for some support. Yep. All right? Instead, it pops off his stick and bing, bang. Less than one, sec- one, one or two <laughs> seconds later, it's in the back of the net. That's the Zuccarello goal for, uh, to make it 4-3. Uh, uh, um, as you can imagine, uh, Evan Bouchard is not getting a lot of love uh, on social media today. And I expect the same thing. It's almost like when you see him in the offensive zone, you go, this guy, he knows what he's supposed to be doing. But as soon as he backs up over the opposition blue line, something happens. But again, last year, when... We've seen flashes, right? We've seen flashes. When Matthias Ekholm especially came in and they were partnered up, no one talked about Evan Bouchard's defensive play like this ever. So so what is it? Can you put your finger on it? Well, I think you got to... Factor in that Ekholm missed a lot of training camp. Yep. He Maybe he's not quite up to his game yet because when he is, he's a one-man breakout. He can go back, shake the first guy, and beat two four-checkers with a pass. So you're not playing as much in your own zone, right? <laughs> so yeah. when you see those extended shifts for Bouchard in the D zone, he gets puck watching out there a little bit. He gets a little lost. And mm-hmm. granted, he is very talented in the offensive zone. He's got a bomb of a shot. He's poised with the puck. But maybe he's just a little too poised with the puck and watching it a little too much in the D zone. I mean, have three points and end up dash three <laughs> on the night, that's that's a tough look. Well, we had the text come in uh, earlier this morning. Uh, he's on pace for 109 points and on pace to be minus 109. Yikes. That could be. <laughs> if that's not a record, it's above average. Well, that might be the green jacket for the league. <laughs> Uh, David Schlemko with us on Sports 1440, guest host on uh, Sports 1449-211 every Wednesday. Uh, This is Steve from uh, Drumheller. Uh, But even like Schlemko says, the awareness seems a lot like ambition or hockey IQ. There doesn't seem to be a lot of it out there. To reach this level of hockey and not take the man you're clearly standing beside is hard to watch. Uh, Mark says, the D zone reminds me of a Timbits soccer team all running around <laughs> the ball. Absolutely no awareness. Uh, doesn't matter. The system, to me, it's IQ or lack thereof. Uh, mistakes are being made at a minor hockey level. Uh, basic foundational plays that the Oilers can't execute. That comes from Mark. Uh, just his two cents. I think that's a pretty good two cents, honestly. Yeah, it's more like a dollar or something like that. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. Uh, it's it's a frustrating time, obviously, for Oilers fans. We're hearing a lot of it uh, today. Oilers uh, back in action uh, tomorrow. The New York Rangers are here. And then on Sunday is the uh, Heritage Classic. Um, we'll see what shakes down in the next couple of days. Oilers with the day off today. The players uh, with the day off. And uh, head coach Jay Woodcroft will address the media sometime after around 1230. When we come back, we will check in with Steve Coolius from Sirius XM NHL Radio. Uh, we will also have uh, Katen Meta on at 940. Big uh, tennis tournament coming up in town. Uh, the National Bank Challenger. Uh, so we will check in with those two guests. When we come back, Karius, Schlemko, Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the Puck Report, brought to you by Fountain Tire. Right now, during the Road Ready Sales event, you can save up to two hundred twenty-five bucks on select tires and a bonus of fifty dollars off any service. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Up until December sixteenth, book your appointment at FountainTire.com. Some restrictions do apply. As uh, Kevin Carius, Dave Schlemko, we welcome in. Steve Coolius from Sirius XM NHL Network and uh, from the podcast Cool Button. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve. Kevin, Dave, thanks for having me. I just, uh, I probably woke up 30 minutes ago. <laughs> the final game ended at 148 yeah. and uh, boom. Right to bed. What a day. Oh, <laughs> man, for sure. No question, Steve. And I, we had Kenny Reed on earlier this morning. I said, Ken, because same thing for him. He was in bed at 2 o'clock or whatever, 3 o'clock. And he, I said, Ken, name me or rattle off the 16 games and the scores, please, quickly. And <laughs> it was just like so much to absorb. So, I mean, that's, that's got to be a, as a broadcaster to kind of keep an eye. And I think you and I kind of started in the business at the same time in the, you know, in 1990 or so. That's a tough day for a guy like yourself. Yeah, people always think that it's not work, but of course it is. If if you didn't have to all the time, you know, as a one-off and stuff like that, you'd stay up and watch Duck Sharks maybe on a Sunday night if uh, if it was an overtime. But I start in the morning with the Tim Hortons coffee, and I'm having one right now, and then it's just prepping for the show, and then it's the show, and whether I'm at home or driving back, when I get home, it's back in the hockey basement to watch the games because, you know, you like it. You want to stay ahead of the competition. You want to see things other people don't. And I think if I can name drop, Ken Holland just said, when you watch, the coaches and players tell you everything. They tell you their systems. They tell you their strategy. They tell you their skill. They tell you if they're working or not. So it's crazy. And TVs are so cheap now. I got three big <laughs> beauties up there in the oh. to try to flip around guys and watch as much as I can. Wow. Uh, so well, in that sense, then, can you explain the Oilers' defensive zone system right now? Because everyone we've talked to this morning can't. Can you? Um, it's poor. <laughs> There's been a change. One of the changes has been, like Vegas, always having someone protect the front of the net and not giving up two defensemen chasing behind the net. And Dave can talk about this as well. There was a great video in the first week of action that showed a situation where uh, Bouchard was in front. He normally would have gone and attacked the four-checker who had the puck in the offensive left corner, right defensive corner. But he looked at McDavid and said, You're, you got to get him now. McDavid went. They centered the puck, and they ended up scoring on a play that I'd like to think in November will be executed a lot quicker. So that's the change of Vegas's defensive zone coverage. 
Uh, I've been told, and whether we're seeing it executed or not, maybe the answer is no. Um, but they're a step behind. It looks like Kevin and Dave, mm-hmm. yeah. and a step slow. I, I think they're thinking too much, <laughs> and they're not thinking smart. So that's what I'm seeing in their own zone. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think, um, yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, sending out the center instead of having the D running out to the corners or running out to that high guy. But like you said, it's slow. Like they're not closing quick. Um, even when they do have guys in, in the house in front of the net, it seems like there's no awareness. There's no identifying your guy, getting under sticks, boxing out. It, it just it seems like they're kind of caught in the middle a lot. Steve Coolius yeah. is our guest. Uh, sorry, Steve, uh, I'll get to you. I uh, just wanted to reintroduce you here on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Carius Schlemko, uh, Steve Coolius, Sirius XM NHL Network, and uh, host of the podcast with Cool Button as well. So um, speaking to that, Steve, what else are you seeing like from an Eastern standpoint uh, for a guy that kind of is on the outside looking in on the Oilers start at 1-4-1? and one? Well, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about defense. I'm worried about goaltending. I'm worried about five-on-five play. I'm worried about the lack of urgency. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look, if you look at Drysdale's numbers, yeah, they're great. And other people have chipped in. And obviously, McDavid, when he's healthy and hopefully can play Sunday, we're coming to Edmonton. I, I don't know if you guys know more about it than I do. I think the rest of it is, you know, like a master's leaderboard, right? Minus eight, minus five, <laughs> minus three. All that stuff doesn't matter. Of course it does. You're supposed to be a team that wins 50 games. You're going to be on the ice for way more goals for than goals against. I mean, even Matthias Ekholm is in that category. I see a team that didn't take the first six games seriously and talked the talk about, yes, teacher, I will do better in math. No, <laughs> failing. You're, you're, you're worse than my grade 12 mark of 38%. You know, it's, 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 I see failure at five on five, failure in the own zone. I see a team that's talking the talk, but not walking the walk. That doesn't mean they're going to miss the playoffs, but if it was a computer, they'd reboot. If it was the price is right, they'd erase the bid and start all over again. I'm, I'm mad, and I'm shocked hmm. it's this bad. Yeah. So, Steve, speaking to that, though, I mean, we could be looking – back at this stretch to start off the season even if they figure it out and make the playoffs and now we're looking going wow that's the reason we're playing Vegas or Colorado in the first round of the playoffs this year right yeah and look at those teams and what they have I mean we could argue the teams that have six great or very good defensemen with the exception of Carolina because theirs has been a middling start but Boston's defense and goaltending even though they lost two centermen, that shouldn't affect defense and goaltending. Vegas defense and goaltending. Colorado defense and goaltending. And we we win regular season games, generically we, to get the best possible matchup in the first round, which is supposed to still be 1-8, even in a wild card system, by winning the conference and getting wild card two. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But to be wild card two and draw one of those two teams, which, again, it's early. It's a it's a frustrating start. I think I'm more worried about cleaning up the mess. It's mm-hmm. like there's a garbage strike, and you look out <laughs> and recycling, and all this. Someone's got to pick up the garbage, and it's going to start with the Rangers on Thursday to set a nice tone going into Sunday. But right now, I think it starts 
with defensive zone coverage and too many easy zone entries given up. Somebody's got to check. I mean, for God's sake, someone has to check. All right. Love it, Steve. Uh, Steve Cooley of Sirius XM NHL Network. Uh, he'll be coming uh, to Edmonton for the uh, Heritage Classic on the weekend. Steve, there are three undefeated teams uh, for the first time in NHL history uh, through the first six games. Vegas, 7-0. and Avs, 6-0. and And you mentioned the Boston Bruins, 6-0. and In your mind, out east, are the Bruins the biggest surprise so far in the early going of the NHL season? I'm going to say that the Detroit Red Wings okay. are a bigger surprise. I'm going to say Detroit, and I'm going to say Debrinket and Larkin. Obviously, they're not going to keep this up, but it's been fun to watch. They kind of blew it last night. They were losing, took the lead, and then lost it in overtime. A beautiful play by Seattle and Jordan Everly, who everyone knows very well. I think the Bruins' strength of schedule would say, well, even if it was the old Bruins or a rebuilding Bruins team that five and one would have been realistic. I mean, like Chicago twice, the Hawks were terrible last night. The goal that was disallowed by Connor Bedard really took the wind out of their sails, you know, Anaheim, San Jose. So I think if they were five and one, it's like, Oh, that's a great start. But since they're six and all, it's too easy. Like their defense and goaltending so good. They might Chico rush Billy Smith, this whole thing and play Swayman and Allmark. 41 games each. So I think to me it's Detroit. I think Detroit with their 34 goals, I think that leads the league, right? Uh, Boston's only given up seven. So as good as the Bruins have been, and it's great, I, I think Detroit has surprised me more, and they've thrown a wrench into the division because Ottawa's much improved, even though they're 500. The Panthers are middling. Sabres have been struggling. Uh, the Wings going to make the playoffs? That's the $64,000 question. But my answer to the question would be Detroit. Uh, with Boston a close second. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I think Detroit's I don't know if they're gonna be able to sustain that. Um I am impressed with Boston though. I mean you say strength of schedule for sure. But um losing Bergeron and Krejci, I mean those are two excellent two way centers and uh for them to just kinda not miss a step so far has impressed me quite a bit. Steve? Yeah, I didn't know if you were going to... Uh, I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> I know. I, I, I laid down. I doubled down. I thought, ah, oh, I'll let him go this time. Well, I wanted to add that uh, Pavel Zaka, after a slow offensive start but playing very well 19 minutes a night, is playing between mm-hmm. 63 and 88, and that really showed in the last couple of games. And the wild card there has been someone that I've been following... Uh, he had 50 points two years ago in Guelph, got drafted. 95 last year, he improved his assist by almost 50. And then in the preseason, I'm watching Matthew Patra, and you double-check the name and everything. He's apparently from around my backyard here, mm-hmm. Whitby, Brooklyn, Ontario. He scored, what, three in the preseason, including a spin-around beauty, a little uh, a little, uh, little Savardian spinorama. Then we get to the regular season. Surely they're going to send him down. Now he's on the second line. Now he got two goals last night. One was a beauty. Now they're going to keep him. Now they're going to need him. He's the Calder Trophy favorite (laughs) right now, guys. So he has been the biggest surprise, and he's filling in for, let's say, 46. He's doing a good job filling in for Krejci as the second-line center. That's a big 
surprising storyline around the league because no, you know who he's trying to be? Wyatt Johnson. And ah, there yeah. are similarities. Hmm. It's probably a decent analogy from Steve Coolius, Sirius XM NHL uh, Network and the podcast uh, Cool uh, Button. I always kind of branch off, Steve, with some interviews. And as I said off the top, we, we kind of got into this business at the same time in around 1990-ish in that area. But what was your experience like to kind of be at the ground floor when the score was kind of getting going? Um, because... For guys that were, you know, in, in in my spot, in my in my position, we watched it all the time because it was like, you know, the first time that we could ever see stuff currently, the, the ticker on the bottom and, and seeing things where you wanted the information very quickly. But on TV, where it's changed, obviously, as we know, everyone can get it in one second. But what was it like for you to kind of be on the ground floor getting into the score at that stage of your career? Uh, well, it's a long time ago. What was it like? Oh, it was uh, some of the best years of my life. I was there for 13 years where when I got there, I was kind of counting the days until I got back at TSN, almost like, you know, I've graduated high school. I'm ready for my job. Uh, but then it just it just really took off. And Gord Stellick was on my show yesterday, and we talked about ice surfing, mm-hmm. which is kind of what ESPN did yesterday with all the games. And you're right, because people did not have Apple phones. They had flip phones or no phones. Everything you get on your phone now, we gave you on the screen. So mm-hmm. when you turned it on, there was the ticker. Oh, it's one to nothing. Dabrinkit has scored from Larkin and Petrie. Great. Oh, uh, the Rangers have tied it. Oh, here comes the highlight. If you just missed it, uh, the slogan was, as it happens. Yeah. So we were Google and the Internet in 2001, 2, 3, all of that. And when we did ice surfing, you know, it was the stock that popped because – it did very, very well, so well that Rogers and TSN complained to the league. We weren't paying for those rights any extra, so they shut us down like prohibition. It was, it was terrible, you know. Things, things got so good, Kipper called me, he wanted a job at our place. But, uh, we sorted it out, got the show back on, uh, and, and it was great being a part of it. We were like the Expos in a way, right? Everybody kind of left there and, and graduated, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, it allowed me to get ice time as a first line mm-hmm. center, and, um, and and it was great. Hey, I went to the Olympics. Uh, I called the Sabers game. I, I hey, people told me I had the best hockey show on television. I'd like to think I've got the best hockey show on the radio. <laughs> so there you go. It helped me, my friend. It helped me so much. Um, you know, I, I the one thing I do remember too, Steve, when it first came out, uh, and they squeezed the video in to keep the ticker going and the scores going. Everyone was going. The advertisers are going to go bananas. They can't. They're 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 losing some of their advertising because the, the screen isn't full. Do you do you remember that concept too? <laughs> oh yeah, and the idea was we are never going away. The screen will never change. Mm-hmm. And what a coincidence! Now they do it in soccer. They do it in um, in uh, I was going to say NASCAR. They do it in F one. They do it at major events now. ESPN does it. Uh, in hockey now they go to the break and you can see how much time is left in the commercial as they keep giving you scores mm-hmm. so i'm telling you i think i had a list once of 46 things we did including <laughs> trade deadline day which we invented not TSN, and i got the video to prove it 46 things anthony Ciccioni and i and spearsy that we said we did first whether it was good or not think about this we did the first prime time every night hockey show in Canada, and we don't have one now. 
that's a disgrace. Yeah. That there's no, you know, that's hockey tonight that I did. Like, think about that for a moment. We do not have a nightly hockey show on Canadian television right now. So we're going backwards. Right, Kevin and Dave? We're going backwards, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah I kind of agree with that. Um, I miss having the NHL network when I lived and was playing in the States. Like, they show like complete highlights. You see every single goal, and you just don't really get that anywhere at home here. Yeah, I mean, maybe the NHL network will be on a feed on one of the mm-hmm. Canadian cha- So, Rogers has, what, six? TSN has five? We yep. have 11 channels and don't have a hockey show, but... Um, I, I know it would have been a great for a night like last night. What was it? Uh, started at six oh seven, done at one forty eight. <laughs> the road teams went ten and six. We had one hundred and two goals, averaging six point four a game. Not too shabby, eh, Dave and Kevin? Oh, Not too that's shabby. a lot of goals. It, you know, it was a great. And a lot of people said maybe it should have maybe been on a Saturday. I don't know if you want to compete with uh, other things. I'm assuming the NHL. Uh, had hoped that the NLCS and ALCS would have been done and had no competition on a Tuesday night. Would you Would you agree with that, uh, Steve? Yeah, and the thing about, and, and that's true, I would have preferred it on a Saturday yeah. as well. Then you really could have staggered from 1 o'clock um, until basically 1 in the morning. Right. I, I get it, and, and, and kudos for ESPN for thinking outside the box. Think what the Americans have done now. The belief is TNT has the best studio show. Mm-hmm. ESPN's been doing great work. Look what they did. And it kind of makes me think about us again here. Where's the creativity? I mean, where's the outside-the-box thinking? Maybe Hockey Night should start the game at 7. Then the next game at 9.45, a little bit earlier. Kids can stay up. And, you know, a whole bunch of things that, you know, I think are fair game for discussion points. Um, And to me, it doesn't matter because I'm really a one-trick pony at they can play hockey at four in the morning like they did in Japan during the Olympics, or they can have the NLCS, they can have the Super Bowl. I don't care, but you're right. Saturday probably would have worked better, but yesterday it was special. So I give ESPN kudos for that, guys. Mm-hmm. For sure. Steve Coolius with us on Sports 1440. Um, well, I just had to ask you one other question about just your career and things like that and doing international hockey, Spengler Cup. Um, to me, watching the Spengler Cup is the is is it it all it, it, it kind of ranks right up there with the world junior to me honestly i don't know what it is about yeah. the building the the fans in there so just your experience doing that steve it is amazing i mean obviously it's not at the level of the world juniors because you know these are the best of the best mm-hmm. of you know 16 17 18 19 year olds turning 20 and the Spengler Cup is more for players who want to get back in the NHL or are playing in Europe and everything else. But I'm with you on having watched it my entire life. And then when the ability came to actually go and call it, it, it is a bucket list event, you know. Going to the World Championship, even though it's not best on best, that's amazing. It'd be great to go to Latvia. Great to do a World Juniors either in Canada or in Stockholm like it is this year. Or... As you mentioned, going to a Spengler. It was so mm-hmm. much fun. We ended up having, I mean, Doug Honiger is great. Yeah. He's so connected around the NHL. And he's, you know, got Swiss roots. And when Paul Graham said, uh, how about Cooley? He said, oh, yeah, the guy from the score. I love him. We've become friends. And to go there where it's cheaper to drink beer than it is a feed of burger. <laughs> like a burger is $16 Canadian, but a beer is like five. And they have a coin. So they just pass the beer up and people just throw their coins down. 
Oh, it's uh, I'm getting goosebumps. It's so great. <laughs> Uh, the Volant Arena, it's Switzerland, everyone's nice, everything is rich. You think it's a brand new street and a brand new sign? No, it's Switzerland, everything's new. They got the world's money in all their banks, so it's just <laughs> unbelievable there. Uh, I'm doing a postcard advertising for this event. You are. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And in the three years I went, Canada won, Canada won, and Canada won. So there you go. Maybe Cooley's got a connection to winning. Well, who knows? Uh, hey, uh, Cooley, thanks uh, for coming on this morning. When are you coming into Edmonton here? Friday night. You'll hear me come in. Oh. No, I'm the enemy of silence. Don't worry. You'll hear me come in. Yeah. Is that a PJ? Are you private jet coming in, or how's that work for you? Uh, no, it is still serious <laughs> next time. We, we fly coach. We fly coach, okay? <laughs> Well, maybe we'll bump into you uh, down uh, down at Commonwealth or maybe the rink on Saturday. Thanks, Cooley. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I hope to see you if you do come and see me, Dave. Congratulations on 500 games in the NHL. <laughs> I'm sure your sweaters uh, are hanging everywhere in your hockey basement. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a few of them, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Take care, man. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. All right, that is the Puck Report. Steve Cooley is uh, um, Brought to you by Fountain Tire. Head to FountainTire.com to check out their winter tire lineup and brand offerings. And keep in mind, they've got seasonal tire storage now. I had to take uh, old Laura Baker's tires in yesterday, and I am the guy. I lifted them off the rack in the garage with the rims. They're like, they're 100 pounds a piece. (laughs) One over each shoulder at the same time, Schlemmer. On the ladder. There you go. Just pumped. I'm the procrastinator. I got I got the call from the dealership to yeah. get get them changed before the first snowfall. You got free tire storage, and <laughs> I never do it. I don't know. Well, get on it. Come on, Schlemmer. I'm working on it. All right. When we come back, Caton Meta, uh, one of the competitors in the National Bank Challenger Big Tennis uh, Tournament coming up at the Royal Glenora, Glenora in town. That's uh, on the Kevin Carey Show with David Schlemko right after the break on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to the big program on Sports 1440. Uh, going to be kind of refreshing to take a little break away from the Oilers uh, this morning as we go in the community. Uh, hockey days are on at United Sports and Cycle where you can save up to 35%. Uh, United Sports and Cycle, your home of hockey for over 95 years as we welcome in Caton Meta into the studio at uh, the Stingray Studios here in West Edmonton Mall along with Kevin Carries, Dave Schlemko. Uh, Caton, welcome to the, the studios. Uh, part of a big tennis tournament coming up uh, this weekend at the Royal Glenora, the National Bank Challenger. So, Caton, uh, how excited are you to kind of, I guess, perform in a real high-caliber tournament in your hometown? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having us uh, on the show. I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great experience, I think, for me. Um, it's going to be my first pro event, um, and for it to be kind of at home where it started. And uh, for me, it's more f- for this week just to enjoy everything that is kind of being put in front of me and the opportunities that I've kind of been given over the next week. And then come match time, just to go and do my best and fight for every point and just enjoy and soak up the the entire time on the court and uh, have a lot of fun. So, um, of course, you want to go into it with high expectations and hoping, okay, I want to go win the tournament. And, uh, of course, that has to be in your mind. Otherwise, you're not going to go out there and, and compete your best. But at the same time, this is kind of an opportunity you only get once in a while. And 
uh, I really want to enjoy enjoy the moment for sure. For sure is right. Uh, Kate and Meta is our guest in studio. Um, we were talking just before you guys came in. Uh, as soon as the Duke lined this interview up, I went, hey, that is ringing a bell, ringing a bell. So uh, I, I used to work at Global for 25 years. John Sexsmith did a story with you about two years ago, right in the midst of COVID, where you had to go down to California to do some training. Uh, can you touch on that aspect of your kind of young career yeah so i mean when when covid kind of hit uh me and rye uh, my coach here kind of we're talking about different possible opportunities to kind of continue my development um and that kind of opportunity kind of presented itself to go to california and help with finding a school in in the u.s to go play play tennis for um and then kind of after the first year there um, when I came back, Ryan said, hey, this guy I want from Global would love to do a story <laughs> about you. Um, and I said, sure. So, yeah, that would have been three and a bit years ago yeah. that I moved down there. Um, and then the story would have been, yeah, about two years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, when I went down, it was kind of just continue my progress and help find a college in the mm-hmm. U.S. Very Climber? cool. California's not a bad place to live in the winter either, hey, bud? For sure, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, just before we came on the air here, you were saying that you eventually kind of outgrew the tennis scene, junior tennis scene in Edmonton. Can you maybe just speak uh, a little bit about that, kind of how you grew up in the local program and what kind of success you had that you know gave you the opportunity to move to California and further your development? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, growing up here, not not a lot of kids are put in tennis at the start. I played hockey in the winter, soccer in the summer. Uh, and then my dad played badminton. So for a long time, I was playing badminton and at the club, actually at the Glenora. And one day, Rye came over and saw me playing and said, hey, you should come try out tennis. Um, and the first day, I actually hated it. I was, oh, yeah. playing, I was playing with the red ball and the whole thing was, you know, we're going to just throw the balls at you guys as it was just like games and stuff. And I think when I was around 10, I was, I was pretty structured just from badminton and hockey and soccer. You kind of have to be if you're juggling all those sports. So then right. he said, okay, try it one more time. I'll just work with you. So, um, I mean, that kind of started our relationship. Um, and then kind of as as because I was kind of deemed a late kind of bloomer in tennis um, most kids start around four or five and I was starting around nine or eight Um, you know we put in a lot of work a lot of hours together a lot of hard times for him a lot of hard times for me Um, I don't know how many times he was at our house late at night talking about different things to go and different opportunities we should chase and um, you know, I had one really good summer, uh, probably around 14, um, where I kind of won everything, U14 Provincials, U16 Provincials, finished the final in a Western Canadian tournament, uh, went to Nationals, finished in the top 10, I think, top 15 there. Um, and then COVID hit, right? So you kind of have a great summer and then you're saying like, how can I improve? How can I mm-hmm. maybe yeah. get to number one in the country or get to top five in the country and, you know... Unfortunately, with no tournaments here and stuff, you had to kind of look elsewhere. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that I was able to do that for sure. Kate Met is our guest in studio in the West Edmonton Mall here in the Sports Stingray Studios. Um, you've mentioned Rye a couple of times and you're referring to your uh, coach, uh, Ryan Schroffel, who's with us as well in the studio. So, Ryan, can you just kind of touch on 
what kind of a relationship, a coaching relationship you've had uh, with Caton and what kind of a young tennis player he is. Sure. Um, you know, at times there were, there were moments of probably love and hate um, for, <laughs> for both of us. Uh, there, were, there were definitely uh, moments where uh, we pushed each other, but it was a relationship that was really, really born out of those moments. So it was uh, through lots of trials, tribulations. Um, but, you know, he's a great kid. And, and when he had the opportunity to go to California, I was nothing but supportive of that to get out and further his development. Um, and he had the courage to be able to go do that. You know, not many kids at 14 years old, 14, 15 are going to move away from, you know, the comforts of home and mom and dad and, and good meals and laundry service and, and your warm bed and all that kind of stuff to move down to, you know, a place that you don't know anything about. And during that time, we didn't know when he was coming home. And uh, with all the lockdowns that were happening with the border and stuff like that, it, it was tough to plan to say, okay, well, I'll see you in two months. I'll see you in three months. Uh, the initial plan was actually he was only going to go down for a couple months at a time and then he would come back and continue his training here. And then when he went down, it was, uh, it was okay. See you when I see you. So, um, but you know, it's, uh, it's a cool story because at the end of the day, he was able to get what he wanted out of it, which was a college scholarship. And, and the fact that he's coming home to play this tournament uh, is, is really special. So you touched on the college scholarship, uh, Ryan. Um, Caden, where are you going? How excited are you about this next uh, chapter in your life? Yeah, I'm going to Clemson University um, come January. Uh, I'm super excited. Um, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity. Kind of when I was going through my process, there was a lot of kind of up and downs in the the college recruiting process. And then kind of come summertime this year, we kind of narrowed it down to a few schools and um, I mean, I think for me, kind of deciding on Clemson and deciding on and on those on choosing it over those other schools was just the relationship I had with Brandon, who's the head coach there in Austin, and um, the guys. And I mean, Clemson's kind of a world-class athletic uh, institute. You know, the the amount of support in the football and the the baseball and the soccer is is high, but comparative to maybe other sports the the funding that they put into their tennis and um the really their want to be a national powerhouse in tennis is much higher than maybe i think any other school in the country so um you know i'm i'm looking forward to going and uh working and and being a clemson tiger for the next four years that's awesome buddy well first of all congrats (laughs) on the scholarship that's unreal. Um, couple questions for you. So you moved down to California. Whereabouts in California? Is that like a tennis academy kind of school thing, or what? Like, what does an average day of training there look like? And then also, uh, what's the process like for the recruitment? Are you doing like fly downs and stuff, uh, kind of like the football guys, or what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, to start on the the place in California, it's in Ojai, California, which is this tiny little town filled with just retirement people um and there's a tennis academy there yeah place for schlemmer and i great place yeah (laughs) um just uh there's a tennis academy there um called wild tennis academy um and it's a great setup because you have your school in the morning there and then you have your practice and the dorms on site so um really there's not a lot of i guess you could say 
maneuvering of time and having to go to this place and that place, everything's just right there, right? So mm-hmm. uh, for a kid who's 14, you know, making the transition to doing your own school and doing your own laundry and being in, walking from your room to class is one minute, right? So um, it's a great setup there. Um, I think uh, maybe it's not the most fun town, but it keeps you structured for sure. And no when, distractions. No distractions for sure. I mean, the, the town shuts <laughs> maybe down. Maybe one or two. <laughs> <laughs> the town shuts down at eight o'clock. So, um, I mean, you're kind of in your room after eight o'clock. So, um, and then kind of with my recruitment process, yeah, um, a ton of phone calls, ton of emails. Um, I did take a few official visits where you fly to the campus and uh, meet everyone. And and then, you know, kind of as I was going through it, it was pretty stressful, um, to be honest, because, you know, the whole recruitment process actually has nothing entail with tennis. Like, mm. there's nothing really? to do with the actual tennis. It's, of course, you need to play well and for the, them to stay interested, but all the phone calls and fly downs and all and all that like you're saying is it's really not a lot of like you don't really worry about the tennis so kind of finding the school i know for a lot of kids is you like to just try and find the school and then be able to focus on the tennis again so right um yeah i mean the recruitment process i would say if i could give advice to any kid if going through it was try your best to not let it affect anything going on and keep yourself focused on on your tennis and on on you first and um it'll all work itself out like it did for me and and like it does for kind of everyone so local tennis player Caton Meta is our guest uh, in the Sports 1440 studios uh, getting ready for the National Bank Challenger this weekend at the Royal uh, Glenora Club before we ask uh, Ryan a little more details on the tournament itself uh, so Caton who are some of your favorite tenor, tennis players to watch um, who do you kind of look up to on the court and then to build off that where do you want to take this where I mean you're you're going to college but where do you want to take this what are your hopes and dreams in the sport yeah I mean I think kind of a new and upcoming inspiring story in tennis is uh, Ben Shelton who he's a player who played two years at the University of Florida um, and then after two years said I'm going to go play professional and he started the year probably around 200 um, which is playing these M25 tournaments which Mm -hmm. we're having here Um, got a few wild cards and now is at number 15 in the world Mm -hmm. within a year which is pretty unheard of so um, I guess that kind of ropes into your second question and where do I want to take this I mean I think nowadays college tennis is at the level if not higher than the level of kind of the lower level pro tournaments I think you look at a guy like that and you say okay in one year's time he went from 200 to 15 and Mm -hmm. that was his first year actually playing professional tennis Um, so I think for me it's kind of the same you got to go situation by situation you want to take it year by year and uh, focus on becoming the best player you can but I mean I think maybe the outside perspective in in the world in general for tennis or so is if you go to college you're kind of giving up on that dream Um, and I think maybe 10 years ago that that was fair to say but nowadays you have guys who are like a buddy of mine who's top 20 ITF which is top 20 player in the world is just Mm -hmm. committed to a school so Mm -hmm. I think you're looking at all these guys and and they're all starting to choose hey I'm going to go to college I'm going to 
develop in college and going to get a degree just in case, you know, the pro tennis pathway and the pro tennis life is, a, is I think, harder than maybe any other sport because, mm-hmm. one, you're traveling 24-7. Um, you're adjusting to time zones. You're adjusting to different cultures and different c- circumstances. And, and two, it's all performance-based. There's no salary. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, if you have a if you have a bad five months, you're poor and you're not <laughs> making any money, right? So, I think it's it's a tough life for sure. I mean, I think so for pro athletes and for guys who maybe okay, I'm going to go to college, and you kind of just wait it out and see how you're doing in in school and in college, and if the opportunity kind of presents itself to play mm-hmm. pro tournaments like I am this week, it you always jump at it and take it, but you also have to think of it like, okay, I need to be smart. And if it takes two years in college, if it takes three, if it takes four, that's, you just, you got to kind of roll with it. And then as soon as you kind of finish college, of course you can kind of make the jump and try. Um, but usually it's a, it's a pretty tough thing to, to do. Um, kind of, if you start after you're kind of done with college. So a lot of guys you'll see, We'll play the the fall season in college and then the spring season and then kind of their whole summer is mm-hmm. going to Tunisia or going to Greece or and playing these kind of future tournaments which are M15s and M M25s. Um, laser focused here, holy smokes! Caton <laughs> um, Meta's with us uh, before we bring in Coach Rye, as you've re- referred to him. Um, besides Coach Rye, who are some of the people that have helped you get to where you are and? kind of where you want to get to i mean i think it, it starts with my first my immediate family um, my parents my, i have a twin sister um my parents especially super supportive of me moving and uh at 14 i i, I can't imagine losing your kid i guess you could say <laughs> yeah. at 14 right i mean you have kids i don't know if you want to lose your you lose your two sons at 14 and let them go to the u.s and um, but yeah, I mean, first for them, for sure. And then kind of everyone involved in my tennis kind of career, I guess, Rye. And then my coaches down in California, Mo and Juanjo and kind of all my fitness staff there and um, kind of just everyone. I, I mean, I think everyone's been super supportive of me. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm hoping that continues and I know it'll continue at Clemson with Brandon and Austin and, and their support staff there. So um, yeah, I mean, I think tennis is a sport that you need a full team, and I'm lucky enough to have that. Let's bring in uh, Coach Ryan Schroffel now uh, to discuss uh, this weekend, and I guess it's a week-long event here at uh, the Royal Glenora. Can you just uh, touch on what tennis fans can expect coming up this weekend and then for the next seven days or so? Yeah, we're, uh, we're incredibly excited here at the Royal Glenora Club. It's been over a year in planning and organizing uh, this event and working with local volunteers and sponsors and funding partners. Um, to Caton's point about Ben Shelton, you know, we could be watching the next Ben Shelton at our tournament this weekend, and that could be the guy next to me. That could be any one of the participants in the tournament. Um, so it's really neat. This is a, a 25K challenger, and so what that means is that it's a second level of entry into pro tennis. So you're seeing a lot of up-and-coming juniors, uh, a lot of Canadian stars, college-level uh, Division One athletes, as well as players with Grand Slam experience. So um, the other important part of this is that it's also the first time ever in Edmonton that we've hosted a combined men's and women's professional tournament. So professional tennis has come to Edmonton, but never never together under one roof like it will for the next seven days. So when's it start? 
It starts this Sunday. We've got qualifying on October 29th. Main draw matches start the following day and uh, wrapping up on Sunday, November 5th with finals. That's a lot of tennis. Do you know when your first match is, Caton? Um, not yet. Yeah. Uh, you kind of figure out this stuff a day or two in advance, but I'm assuming Monday or Tuesday. So, Well, uh, wish you all the best. Uh, good luck. Uh, I mean, man, what a journey so far, and it's just starting. Um, wish you uh, all the best this weekend in, uh, in Clemson and in, in the rest of your career. Thanks Thank for coming you, in. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, that's uh, Kate and Meta getting ready for the National Bank Challenger this weekend at the uh, Royal Glenora that starts uh, Sunday, as uh, Coach Ryan Schroffel mentioned, and runs uh, for the better park of a week. Uh, that's in the community for United Sports and Cycle, a fourth-generation family-owned and operated business in the heart of Old Strathcona. United's been supporting hockey and our community for over 95 years. We're a little late to the old break, Duke. Sorry about that, big fella, but we were having such a good conversation uh, with uh, Caton and Ryan. So uh, the Duke has a sports update, and then we're back with more on the Kevin Carey Show with David Schlemko. Stay with us.